Hi, my name is Cyrus Lark, and I'm going to be your host today on Northern Lights. This week, we're going to be looking at the wildfires in Northern California that have occurred over the past four years. We'll learn about the effect it had on local communities, the disaster relief program that was offered, and how it affected people's mental health. We get to speak to Lou Preston, the owner of an organic farm, and hear how he thinks things could have been done differently. We also speak to Doug Lurch, my father, who as a psychiatrist, helped many kids after the fires and gives us a look into the process of trauma. This and more coming up on Northern Lights. In 2017, the Tubbs fire erupted in Sonoma County. It started by a failure in the private electricity system. It lasted 23 days and burned 36,000 acres, destroying over 4,500 homes. The following year, the campfire burned 150,000 acres and destroyed 14,000 homes. At the time, I was a freshman and sophomore in high school. I remember school closing for weeks from smoke and having to evacuate with my mom. It was an eerie feeling driving down the 101 at 3 a.m. and having there be standstill traffic. The moon loomed above us as we joined the caravan escaping towards San Francisco. We were lucky enough to have families to stay with, but for many people, that wasn't the case. Fairgrounds turned into temporary camps and community centers followed suit when the fairgrounds filled up. People left their homes in a scramble, bringing their pets and important belongings, hoping their homes would be there to return to. In the following months and years, people would begin to figure out how to rebuild their homes and their lives. California was awarded $1.3 billion from the U.S. government to rebuild neighborhoods and prevent future disasters from happening. However, access to this relief fund was not immediate and relied on developers' plans being approved by the government. This takes time. Meanwhile, people remain living on fairgrounds and in other temporary housing while waiting for affordable housing to be built. It took over two years for that $1.3 billion to be distributed to the community. In Santa Rosa, there were 12 partially built affordable housing apartment complexes ready to provide 950 apartments to fire victims. Those buildings were waiting on that money to be distributed. FEMA provides disaster relief in the form of rent stimulators for temporary housing, home repairs, and medical expenses. But this ends after 18 months. This leaves many in positions without permanent housing or jobs and no longer covered under FEMA's disaster relief. Many people can no longer afford to live in the hotels that were provided by FEMA and end up living out of cars or returning to their unsafe homes. This isn't unique to the California fires. FEMA has been greatly criticized on many occasions of natural disasters across the country. FEMA only covered 10% of the costs of Hurricane Irma, Harvey, and Maria, and failed drastically in helping Costa Rica. FEMA was wildly unprepared for these catastrophes. If only one natural disaster had occurred that year, 
there's a chance FEMA could have been better prepared. But with climate change inducing natural disasters across the country and the world, FEMA was caught off guard. As of September 15th this year, there has only been 121 individual assistance applications approved by FEMA in California. We're going to talk now to Doug Lurch and see what effect this had on the children affected by the fires. Yeah, my name is Doug. I'm uh, Cyrus's father, and I'm also a psychotherapist. And for uh, about eight years, I was the clinical and program director for a mental health program that supported children in their schools called Seeds of Awareness. After the fires in Sonoma County in Northern California, when working with kids, what was their immediate response to the fires? Yeah, so the immediate response, I think the best way to really get a sense of what their response was, was just picturing what their experience was. And for a lot of the children who lost their homes in the fire, they were waking up at maybe three, four in the morning and um, told to grab their blankets and maybe they had time to grab a stuffed animal or a couple of their toys, if, if that, in a state of real panic were rushed into their car. And um, Some of the kids and families were literally driving through the flames to um, get out safe. So this was a very intense and traumatic experience for uh, the children. Um, depending on the age range um, and depending on the level of severity of the trauma the experience was was different and their ability to uh, make sense of what happened was different um, some of the children we worked with um, were in the shelters um, which were just pop-up community centers that um, provided cots for families to sleep on food for families to eat and a, a safe place for families to land when um, the evacuees were happening from Santa Rosa and the surrounding areas. And in these camps, there was a real strong community bond happening. Um, strangers got to know each other and became uh, instant friends, supported each other, children met other children. And so um, there was a ton of volunteers uh, that was something really powerful that happened in Sonoma County the um, people really came together to support each other so um, there were playrooms happening in the spaces where volunteers would come and uh, spend time with children and just give them a space where they could feel safe and where they could um, be paid attention to uh, I had a couple days I spent working with children in um, these shelter areas and um, what you found was the children really needed a space to process and work through their trauma and make sense of what was happening and a lot of the children they gravitated towards drawing and play and some of the drawings that you see from the children were really profound of uh, houses on fire of you know, mom and dad stick figures with big frowns on their faces and um, really was a big expression of um, trauma through through the um, the play and through the the drawings and so th this was really the children's um, 
unconscious way to begin healing themselves. And um, it was a, a long road to healing for the children. How did it affect their relationship with their family after going through this experience? Yeah, you know, I think a lot of that depends on the socioeconomic status and the level of community the children have um, had for, for the families that had to end up in the shelters for sometimes weeks at a time. Um, they, they were stressed out and they were struggling. Uh, the parents were kind of um, in their own state of trauma from everything that was happening. You know, a lot of the families, they were evacuated and they were just watching um, the news day in and day out and getting reports from neighbors and other people to see whether their house was going to make it. Um, so it was a tremendous amount of stress and strain. And during that period of time, um, a lot of parents didn't have the wherewithal to really be there for their kids fully. Um, and their, uh, you know, stress levels got high and so yeah it was a very trying time for many of those families uh, other families with more resources still experienced a lot of strain but they were able to land in a hotel drive further maybe stay with families further away that were um, really out of out of the uh, out of the smoke and out of the um, more intense um, social environment around the fire and so I think I think for those families the the level of stress and the cohesiveness was a bit stronger and the stress was lower um, you know and that was at the beginning and then you know I think every family is going to be different but I I know it brought families together in a, in a powerful way also to be able to survive and get through something like that together um, builds resilience as well so the initial state is really stressful in the long run though it, it can can build resilience for families and kind of yeah let them think about and really experience what really matters you know when it's all said and done your toys and your your regular day-to-day -day stresses really pale in compared in comparison to um, the, the realities of am I going to uh, have a home to go home to, is my school going to be there, am I going to be alive um, through this experience and I think it gives people a deeper appreciation of life when you go through something um, so, so intense like uh, evacuating from your home and, or losing your home during, during these fires. In the aftermath and in these next couple years, as the fires continue to worsen and the fire season grows longer, how does that affect a kid's sense of stability and mental health? In the future years after the fire, um, the, the anniversary season really brings up a lot of traumatic memories for people. Um, during the fall, when the sunlight starts to change, the trees begin to have a similar color, the air has a similar feel, and the wind picks up in a similar way. Without even there being a fire or smoke, people start to get on nerves um, because they remember what it felt like right before and during the fires. 
And so during the what we call fire season now, um, people who experience trauma during the fires get on edge. Um, they start to feel a little less safe. And when there starts to become smoke and their winds pick up um, and there's the fires begin, um, that's when people can really experience a state of fear and uh, post-traumatic stress from the initial fires. And depending on how intense their experience was, um, that can create heightened states of anxiety, uh, panic attacks, and um, cause people to really um, have to self-medicate to try to feel calm and not be in a constant state of panic and fear. So a lot of people are experiencing those symptoms now uh, into lesser or greater degrees and they're needing, um, there's a, a real strong need for mental health support for these children and, and also adults who have been through the uh, traumas of the fires and are um, experiencing post-traumatic stress from, from that experience. After an experience like this, how does it affect a child to have lost their home? How do you recover from that? Yeah, it's, um, like I said, it can be a long road for some of the children to recover. Um, you know, time is one of the healing elements for all wounds. And um, we had um, brought in counselors to all this, <clears throat> to many of the schools who were most affected by the fires. And <clears throat> the um, play therapy and mental health counseling for children uh, is really an important way for them to heal. And um, it became a safe space for them to express their trauma and um, also have a, a trusting, safe other person that they could um, talk about their fears with and express their emotions with. So that's one way that the healing happens is through that mental health support. Um, and other ways is um, for the families and the parents to learn how to comfort their children when they start to feel afraid. And, you know, that can just be really uh, reflecting and normalizing their fear while also uh, comforting them that they're going to be okay. And I think that's a lesson that all the children learn, no matter um, whether I'm in this home or another home, I have my family, and that's what's most important. So even though the children who lost their homes uh, and lost all of their belongings uh, experience that trauma, if their family system is strong and if they receive that mental health support and the support from the community, um, the resilience can develop and they can um, get through that experience and be healthy and strong. All right, well, thank you for talking with us today, um, answering those questions. Yeah, you're welcome. Now we can start to picture what it was like being a child or just a family going through this experience. We're gonna turn and look at what were the situations that caused these fires when we come back from our break. During the wildfires last year in 2020, 
Trump accused the California Forest Service of having poor land management skills and that being the cause of the fires. Newsom responded through a tweet, You don't believe in climate change. You are excused from this conversation. He erratically threatened to cut off FEMA support to California as California was still recovering from the 2018 fires. While he could make claims like this, he had no real authority to put that into action. The campfires in 2018 were caused by PG&E shortages that ignited them. Last year in 2020, fires broke out due to an unprecedented lightning storm that took place across California. The cause of this year's Calder fire in Lake Tahoe is still under investigation. However, a combination of climate change and faulty equipment from PG&E are likely culprits. We're now going to speak to Lou Preston, the owner of an organic farm and winery in Healdsburg, and talk to him about how the fires affected farms and how he thinks they could have been managed better. Hey Lou, how's it going? It's Cyrus. Hi Cy, it's going well. How are you? The interview came in a little choppy given Lou is outside the farm and this was my first attempt at recording an interview, but we did get some insightful information. For my first question, I asked Lou, how did the local authorities respond to the situation? The, the, the fires that we've experienced over the last couple of years, it kind of reveal that, that the authorities are, are, have been new at it. They've been, been sort of trying different strategies to figure out how to keep people safe, but also to allow essential businesses to function. As the owner of a business that has to manage access to the farm, that kind of makes me also responsible for the safety of the people that are gaining access to my farm. And, and just in the news lately, there's been, there have been some issues uh, of workers would come into a farm and the owner would have them help to protect buildings against the approaching fire. And this is with people that aren't properly trained. So the big question is, what are the additional responsibilities does this place on, on landowners in a farming area that have to deal with the system of evacuations and, and permitted reaccess and so forth? How do you think the fires have, or have they strengthened the sense of community um, around you? And what has the community reaction and support system been like? The community question is a really important one to me personally. I, I think that what we do here goes way beyond growing food or making wine, whatever. It's, it's being a positive element for the, the local people, for the community. It's been very uh, heartening to see the, the positive reaction of local folks to uh, the, the people that are actually doing the work putting out fires. We, we all know that our livelihoods and our welfare and our health depends on this um, sort of a partnership between the people in the front line and the people in the town that are uh, supportive. It's, it's made me feel really good. Whether it's long-time residents that have bought, bought a home recently, they feel like they belong and they feel like they want to help and they do help. So I, I feel good about that. In terms of your well-being and mental state, how does it feel 
yeah, having your livelihood um, at stake and like the farm has been such a big part of your life and kind of your life work to an extent. So how does it feel having that threatened and knowing in the coming years that it's going to continue to be threatened as with climate change, it doesn't seem the wildfires are going to be getting better as the years go on. Well, I think this is perhaps the most interesting question. Uh, uh, I, I like to think ahead, even though I, I, I'm an old guy, and uh, my my time on this land is, uh, is uh, clearly proscribed by by the years. But but I think about the other people that that are here and the employees that have been so helpful to us and. And what, what, what is the future for them as well as for the land? I think people are smart enough. We are all smart enough that we will adjust and adapt. And, you know, forest management is, a, is something that we have, haven't paid enough attention to over, I guess, the recent generations even. But Native people knew how to do it. They understood the dynamics of, of controlled fire as a management tool for, for the health of the uh, of, of forests and, and of, uh, wild lands. And, and we are in a position to, uh, that we need to learn from these techniques and this sort of strategy that, that our elders uh, were able to pursue. So I, I think the, the short-term future is dire because we're having to adjust, but I think we will adjust in the long-term future. Is I think farming will probably look different. I think uh, the way we manage the lands will allow better penetration. And when, when, it, when it rains, that, that water won't run off. It will soak in. It will be there for future use. So. Uh, I'm, I'm not thinking we're going to look like a desert. I think our, our crop management will, will be different. We'll stop using chemicals to feed our farms. And in, in doing it that way, I think that what grows on the land will be healthier. And when it's healthier, it'll be less prone to extreme damage from, from fires. So, I, you know, it's, it's a learning process. And I, I like to think that we as a people are are capable of learning and capable of doing better. And I, I think the generation from now, uh, your, your generation will have a, a much, much better handle on managing, preventing, living with uh, the uh, changes of climate changes and what it means for um, managing the land. So I, I feel optimistic long, long term. In the past years, do you think the fire, de or not fire department, but forest service could have done a better job with that land management and fire prevention? There are different strategies. There's different thinking about how to manage forests. And there's not agreement yet. Uh, an example of that is uh, the federal government has one set of policies and strategies for managing forests, and the state parks have a, a, a different strategy. And I've heard of fires that have uh, impacted side by side, both a, a state park and a, a national park. And the way those fires were managed was 180 degrees different. On one side, it was let it burn. 
on the other side is put it out. And uh, you, you, one, one could, I suppose, support both its, both strategies. But let, let it burn is, if you let it burn, it's going to use up all the fuel and put itself out. On the other side is, you've got uh, human investment and, and uh, uh, man-made structures that need to be protected, and we have to protect it. So um, I, I think as, as a people, we are undecided what is the right approach. We, we just touched on the, 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 the native uh, approach, which was, it's not just let it burn, but actually make it burn, but in a controlled way. And uh, I think you and I probably agree that that's the ultimately the right solution. But uh, in the meantime, we've got this disparity of strategy that we haven't worked out yet. A big issue is building permits. Uh, people have been allowed to to build homes in in areas that are fire hazard houses in the, in a forest. If if people are con continue to be allowed to build homes in in highly vulnerable uh, areas, there will always be dangerous fire uh, fires and. There's always a, a risk of people um, harming the, themselves to put out a fire to protect the house that shouldn't be there in the first place. So I think zoning and building permits that impact forested areas are, are a big problem. And uh, I think our society, I'll keep using that word society, our society is just beginning to deal with that as an issue. It's, it's kind of like why do we allow people to build homes on an eroding, uh, eroding sea coast with, during uh, ocean level rise and global warming? It's, it's the same thing. People should, should be more respectful of, of the forested areas and that they are a hazard and that there's potential harm that can be done by, by living there. And, you know, we want to be able to enjoy our forests, but not, not in a way that puts them uh, in danger. So there, 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 there's a need for a partnership between the community and the authorities uh, over uh, forest management and forest enjoyment. After our conversation, I was curious if there were organizations doing prescribed burns or if the fire department was in charge of them. I found the Butte County Prescribed Burn Association in Northern California. They facilitate prescribed burns on private land in partnership with homeowners. CAL FIRE units do maybe one burn a year if they're lucky. Over the three years that the Butte County PBA has been in action, they were able to burn around 1,500 acres. Their website will lead you to many other prescribed burn associations across California. When public systems like FEMA and CAL FIRE fail to operate as needed, it falls into the hands of organizations to help the community. The Latino Community Foundation is collecting contributions to disperse to Latino-led organizations supporting families displaced by the wildfires. United Way of Northern California provides a free hotline to medical staff, tax assistance, community grants, and more. Puente gives grants to local businesses and families, offers a community resource center, and offers classes to promote community awareness. 
All these organizations and more can be found on our website. I'm going to end our time today with a phrase that has become a motto of hope in Sonoma County. The love in the air is thicker than the smoke. I'm Cyrus Lark, and this was our first episode of Northern Lights. I'd like to thank Lou Preston and Doug Lurch for talking with us today. And of course, Chris Lee Crane for making this all possible. Thank you.